You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. Coming up, The Five with Steph Curtis. And the celebrity love fest I'm urging you to resist, you know what I'm talking about if you hang out with me on Twitter. But first, a new conversation in our Women of Faith series, and I am so much more. Misha Youssef launched her new podcast with what sounds like a pretty ordinary story from her childhood. My mom hears something, walks into the room where I am with my sister, and sees me throwing oranges at her. I know. I sound like a monster, right? (laughs) No harm done in the end. But that moment of sibling jealousy reveals something Misha knows is essential about herself. As essential as many of the other things that make Misha who she is. Jealousy is something that I struggle with at work, in my relationship, all the time. It's part of who I am. You wouldn't know that if you met me. You'd see that I'm brown, petite, a woman, but you would have no idea who I am. You probably wouldn't even know that I'm Muslim. If you caught that last part, after the brown, petite, woman stuff, I'll bet the moment that Misha said Muslim, an image popped into your head and it swamped some of the other stuff you just learned about her. And that is the point of this podcast. We're being pigeonholed, like we're only thinking about being Muslim 24-7. And uh, if if you listen to that and you understand what she's trying to say there, we're going to open up the phone lines this morning. And that's what we're going to talk about. And I hope you have something to add. If you're Muslim, has our cultural landscape changed enough that you can be seen in all of your complexity? Tell me how that works for you. And if you practice a different faith, do you catch yourself putting Muslim Americans into a particular box in a way that you don't do with Catholics or Lutherans or Episcopalians. You know those Episcopalians. So I want you to examine your ideas about what it means to be Muslim in America. If you come at this from being Muslim or from a different faith, we'll open the phone lines. We'll bring you into the conversation. 651-227-6000, 800-242-2828 on Twitter. At Carrie NPR. Misha Youssef is a podcast hope and producer at KPCC, NPR's sister station in Southern California. The new podcast is called Tell Them I Am, and she joins us today from LA. Misha, welcome. It's really good to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I, I heard a paradox here, and I want to talk to you about it. You know, as I listened to these episodes, it occurred to me that your podcast is emblematic of how stuck and too comfortable we are, we we Americans who are not Muslim, in our narrow thinking about Muslim. But you know what? You're also trusting us to be in a place where uh, you see space to push against that. I mean, you have to trust in the listener here to understand where you're going with the podcast. I see that as an interesting paradox, and I'm curious about how you thought about it. Yeah, I think that trust is so important. Um, and I, I realize that that was important because I grew up the first half of my life in a Muslim-majority country. I, I moved from Pakistan when I was 12 years old. And being Muslim was not a major part of my identity. And 
moving here, I realized that the reason that a lot of people were pigeonholing Muslims is because better questions had never been asked by people in positions of power or people who had the power to shape perceptions. And so part of that task is for Muslims to be in those positions and to start asking better questions or telling their stories themselves. But I also think part of that is just trusting that the general public is actually able to comprehend these things and that we don't need to break down the nuance of humanity into one-dimensional <laughs> categories. <laughs> what are the better questions that you're thinking about? I mean, I think you can think about it as, um, you know, meeting somebody for the first time. I think we tend to uh, try to understand people by categorizing the way that they look or their gender or their profession. And I think when you ask questions beyond that, right, like what's a time that you realize something important about yourself or what does that say about your relationship with your family or what is the mark of your cultural heritage? How do you straddle your multiple identities? I think when you ask questions that have layers, you get to better stories and more specific moments. Um, but we also understand the, the multiple dimensions of, of different kinds of people beyond um, maybe the visual aspects of who they are. You know, it, it occurred to me that I could tune in to the middle of some of these podcast episodes and not know that this was anything about what it meant to be Muslim and American. I I think that's both your your ambition in the podcast, but also the kind of sneaky genius of the podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's funny because we faced some backlash on that too. Have you? Know, you? Where, ah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean both internally and externally, we've been asked the question about whether it would be confusing for people unless we label at the ev- at the top of every single episode that, by the way, everyone is Muslim, <laughs> you know. And by the way, this is the premise of the show. Um, but I, I think. It's like when you go see the musical Hamilton, right? Nobody is giving you a warning that most of the cast is people of color, even though George Washington was not a black man. Um, that's that's kind of the same ambition that we had with this podcast is that audio, um, by definition, doesn't allow you to see who the people are. So maybe you'll give them more of a chance than you would if you saw them first or if you knew something about them beforehand. Call here from Sarah in Hastings. Hey, Sarah, glad you called. What are you thinking about as you're listening to the beginning of this discussion? Well, I just want to thank you for having the discussion. I think it's really important and timely. I am a convert to Islam, so I'm a white Irish German American woman mm-hmm. who grew up in St. Paul. And I just, there's such a contrast between saying I grew up Irish Catholic and the response I get and saying that I'm Muslim. And there's this pause that happens oftentimes afterwards that I share that I'm Muslim. And within that pause, becomes for me insecurity and wonder and um, uh, it's kind of fraught with um, issues of the day Mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to forge those conversations more um, since I've changed my religion to Islam than than before and so it's just sort of the subtleties and the microaggressions that you pick up on. So so this is pretty interesting. So you, when you tell someone this, you see the kind of what the catch in their expression, the the catch in their in their uh, reaction, but then you project a lot of uh, information onto what's happening in that in that pause. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it would be that way if it weren't now. You know, the way the way things are right now. And 
true, very true. What, what, if it, what if my projection is valid and what if it is my own insecurity based upon <laughs> the times we're living in? You know, it becomes complicated. And what if it's both, which it exactly. probably is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Misha, what do and, you think? Yeah, I mean, I've had similar experiences actually internally, like within the Muslim community. Um, one of the episodes uh, with the comedian Ahmed Weinberg, we talk about that moment with Uber drivers, whom a lot of uh, Uber drivers tend to be Muslim. Um, you know, when when they ask you, oh, your name, like Ahmed or, or Misha Youssef, like, is that Muslim? And I have this like moment of fear where I think they're going to ask me the same set of questions all over again. Um, And I, you know, project a lot of insecurity there and a lot of fear about judgment because I don't look a certain way or um, if they ask enough questions, they'll get to something that is unacceptable or un-Islamic, you know. Um, But I I do I I think it's even more nuanced when you have kind of a dueling identity and you you can pass for something other than Muslim, um, whether because you're white or because you dress a certain way or you drink or whatever. Um, so I, I relate to Sarah's struggle. Absolutely. And I think a lot of our guests do, too. Sarah, are you still there? I'm here. Uh-huh. I, I'm curious as to whether there are there are times when you think I'd really like to, you know, I, I'd like to have my whole identity known here, including my faith. But it's just going to be hard. And I don't have the mental energy today mm-hmm. to do that. You know, yeah. I try I try to push myself in those circumstances because. I sometimes see myself as a privileged advocate because I am white and I don't cover and that I can't hide. And so I try sometimes to, to share, you know, like with people, we, we live in kind of a farming community and sometimes I'll, I'll share like, Oh, you know, it's, it's Ramadan. And so, um, you know, I'm really tired today. And, and, and you know, it's usually just kind of these looks of like, <laughs> what is this? What? what do you, why are you not eating? You know? And, um, I, I try to find it as points of, of opportunity, but it, it is not easy because there's often like, you know, other stuff going on behind behind the scenes, I think, anyways, in their mind. So it's an interesting uh, position to be in. A really good to have you your know, perspective. Go ahead, Misha. I, I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I was curious if you've ever considered covering just so you can visually display that you're yeah. Muslim. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, um, we always cover when we go to the mosque and sometimes I don't take it off. And it's interesting even to see my children. You know, if they noticed that I did or didn't take my scarf off, and you know, the older one, <laughs> she she's twelve. You know, she's like, take the scarf off. You know, um, it's actually more interesting to watch her struggle at school, um, not wanting to out herself, so to speak. Um, and and that's a whole other conversation. But um, you know, they did a section on on Islam in their social studies class, and uh, he he made some mistakes in pronunciation. And I, I said, you know, you could correct, you could you could take it as a chance to advocate. And she said, no, mom, I don't want to. Really? I don't want to talk about it. And that, to me, is more of a sad thing, I think, with our kids today where we're not able to have... I mean, we should all be able to own our identity. I mean, this is America, right? <laughs> but but right now, it's hard. Yeah, it, it's asking a lot in your teen years, too. Misha, you, you probably know what I'm saying <laughs> better than I know oh, what I'm yeah. saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially after moving from Pakistan, I spent so many years just... I call it whitewashing myself. <laughs> but I, I really ran away from my identity until probably like two or three years ago when... Mm. Um, even talking about being, I, I went through the exact same thing where I was trying to disown being Muslim, um, and I wouldn't talk about it because the moment I would, I would all of a sudden be met with certain expectations, and so I was like, oh, rather than having to explain why I don't wear a headscarf or why I drink or whatever, I would rather just not say that I'm Muslim. Is that because it will the explanation will be complicated, or is it? there will be judgment involved in the way people see your choices and you don't want to have to go into the 
you know, the reasons for that or you haven't reconciled some of the judgment with yourself? Why? I think there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I think the biggest part of it probably was that I have not or I had not really come to certain reconciliations or conclusions about how to be culturally Muslim Mm -hmm. um, because that's not a very common thing in the community. And I think the other part of it is, is, you know, judgment from Muslims for not being Muslim enough and then um, confusing questions from people who are not Muslim because no matter how hard you try to explain to some non-Muslims, the questions – I mean there's so many questions, right? Because there hasn't been that level of intimacy with Muslims in popular culture. And so it's it's totally legitimate that the burden is on each individual Muslim living in America. But some days you're just too exhausted to have to explain all of those things. So um, I think it's a lot of those layers. But probably the biggest one is just – Fear. <laughs> but but I mean, this, this is why I, I said I think this is really the genius of the podcast is if I tuned into the middle of it and I heard one of your guests talking about, you know, what happened in her family when her little brother was hit by a car and how it changed their relationship. And then and we're going to play a bit of that a little bit later. And there I don't think there's anybody that can't and you knew this that can't relate to the transformational or those essential moments that a family goes through and what that means to your sense of who you are and then who you are within that family. And you're you're saying, see, just like you, but not, <laughs> but not only, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get it. Uh, it's, it's absolutely that. And I think it's just, you know, even beyond just the conversation with Muslims. I think so often because of what's happening politically, um, even, you know, being Republican is fraught with so many judgments and so much fear and confusion. And I think that allowing people to be a universal aspect of themselves or share their humanity before they share some of those labels is so cool. And I and I wonder how that would be possible in everyday conversation when you just meet people yeah. and how you can facilitate that too, yeah. you know, beyond the podcast. Um, but yes, absolutely. We want to skip all the small talk and get you to that moment <laughs> that you can relate to. That you feel like, oh my gosh, yeah, I also rebelled against my dad when I was 15 and tried to smoke pot in cars, you know. <laughs> Here's Susan on Twitter who says, I'm Jewish and I grew up on Long Island where my town was Jewish or Catholic. Wasn't a big deal until I moved to Minnesota. Now I'm a New York Jew and everyone makes that about who I am uh, rather than all the other stuff that she is. You know, I was preparing for this conversation, Misha, at the same time that I'm preparing for next week's Women of Faith. And it's with Emmy Kegler. She's a Lutheran pastor. She's queer. And one of the things she's saying is, I am so many things and I'm queer, which is important, but it's not the only thing. It's important to how I participate in my faith, but it's not the only important thing in the way I inti- I, I participate in my faith. And I thought the questions that, that animate your podcast, I think, are pretty similar to what's animating her memoir and the conversation we'll have next week. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, absolutely. So our uh, first episode is with Tan France, who's the style guide from Queer Eye. And that was incredibly intentional. Um, At no point do we ask him, 
Tan, what is it like to be gay and Muslim? His moment, in <laughs> fact, has nothing Excellent. to do with that. Yeah. You know, so I think especially when you have celebrities or you have people who have multiple identities where they get pigeonholed, to allow them to talk about anything beyond that is also an opportunity and, a, and an exercise of catharsis for them. Um, and we noticed that with a lot of our guests. They were like, oh, so you're not going to ask about that thing that I talk about all the time in every single interview? Um, in fact, Reza Aslan um, is our fifth episode. And, and he told us, you know, at the top of his interview, he's like, I've never even told my wife this story. Huh. So... Um, I, I, we had a lot of moments like that where people felt like they had just been asked the same questions over and over again. And um, it doesn't matter what identity it is. It's a very similar struggle. To Marianne in St. Paul. Hi, Marianne. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. This is a very exciting conversation. Um, so my experience has been that as an educator and as a writer, mm-hmm. um, being Muslim has really been central to who I am. It's sort of a guide to how I live my life. Uh, while I'm all the other things I am, I return to being Muslim to uh, find cohesiveness in in life. And so since I've started wearing a, a turban, I've noticed that as I walk into spaces that um, it is a point of notice for many people. But I find that to be very exciting because suddenly... It's a platform where I can really share who I am and clarify misunderstandings about Islam that has been dominant in uh, in the mainstream culture lately. I, I think that's really courageous, Marianne, although I wonder if you have that experience that we heard from our first caller who was like, there's just some days I don't want to be the Muslim who has to tell the story. To all these Minnesotans who I hope are genuinely interested and curious, but are going to ask the same questions over and over again. So um, I have to say, so there's another aspect that I also would like to share in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Islam, there is a component that's known as da'wa, which is all about sharing your knowledge and continuing to be an agent of um given to your community. And I find really I have I don't experience that I don't want to be a Muslim today because um sorry about that. It being Muslim is really the best thing, truly the best thing of who I am because it is what simplifies my life and gives me peace on the days that I don't feel like I want to do anything. I hear um you. so it has never been uh, uh maybe because I really come with a strong foundation of understanding the the, the goals of humanity and who I am. And, um, I, I have to say that that has not been my experience. On the other hand, I've just recently finished editing a youth anthology about Somali youth in ah. Minnesota. Uh-huh. It's known, it's going to be called um, I Came Here to Live. And we received over 100 submissions for this anthology. And it was a surprise to me that most of these young people, aged 10 to 30, have been saying that we're alienated. They're feeling alienation, and many of them express in their writings such desperation to find belonging. But the beauty of it is after that experience, many of them reconciled with that alienation to say, I'm here to stay. I was born here. This is who I am. And if you are having a hard time with that, 
perhaps many of them repeatedly, perhaps something is something needs to be adjusted with how you are viewing me. And maybe your understanding should be broadened that the world is big and there are many kinds of people in the world and uh, that it's not the problem that I am the problem, but perhaps kind of expanding your lenses will be I, I think, easier. Marianne, well done on the anthology. And Misha, that sounds like something that, I mean, was at a seed of almost every conversation that you were having for the podcast. It's not me, it's you, but that's not enough either, just to walk around acknowledging that, right? Yeah, I think one of the major goals of the podcast is to take responsibility as Muslims of telling our own stories, even if those stories are not the common Muslim stories. And I think what Marianne is talking about is is really important and exciting for all Muslims. It's that we are finally in a time that as fraught as things may be, as confusing it may be to be both Muslim and American and a million other things, we actually get to tell the nuance of all of our stories. And no matter what kind of Muslim we are, whether we're queer, whether we're culturally Muslim, religiously Muslim, we can tell our stories. You know, the Internet is a democratizing platform. And I think both for the community and non-Muslims, it is important to hear a diversity of perspectives um, for non-Muslims because it's harder to hate people that you can't caricature to a few characteristics, you know. And for Muslims themselves, we need to rethink what it means to be Muslim and and who is allowed to own that story because I think queer Muslims have been isolated for a long time within our community. Um, I think cultural Muslims have been isolated for a long time within our community. And those are conversations that are worth having. This is a conversation with Misha Youssef um, in the latest in our Women of Faith series. She's the podcast host and producer at KPCC. And her new podcast is called Tell Them I Am. And she's with us today to talk about The focus that she came to a series of conversations with Muslim Americans uh, was not on, okay, tell me what it's like to be Muslim in America. It was about transformational moments in their lives where, which uh, told them something about themselves or their families and digs into identity. Uh, But what this says about the the dual experiences that we all have, kind of the um, the similarities in our lives. And that's what I call the sneaky genius of the podcast. So subscribe to it. Asking you this morning, if you're a Muslim, has our do you think our cultural landscape has changed enough that you can be seen and in, in with a lot of complexity. I want to know how that works for you. And if you practice a different faith, and I've been hearing from a lot of you in these conversations with women of faith, do you catch yourself putting Muslim Americans into a particular box in a way that you wouldn't do if people identify as Catholics or Lutherans or Episcopalians, because I know a lot of you listen. 651-227-6000, 800-242-2828, on Twitter, at Carrie NPR. Call here from Arwa in Minneapolis. Hi, glad you called. Hi. What are you thinking about as you listen to this? I don't know. I just, I'm thinking in my head, this is like an everyday thing for me where I'm constantly having to think, like, my religion is always the fourth center of who I am. I feel like, in a way, it defines me. 
And because I wear the hijab, I feel like before I can even speak, people already have an assumption of who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, and in certain situations, especially in my job, sometimes I feel like I have to fight back or talk a lot harder or explain a little bit more just to kind of get myself out of that box. But I think me not saying I'm a Muslim just by the way I dress and my practice is what automatically puts me there. And so does that mean sometimes, Arwa, that you think, you know, today, I don't want to do that. I'm leaving the hijab at home. Um, this feels kind of burdensome. I mean, I, um, I, I really don't, I don't think much that way to it because I just feel like, I don't know, like I, sometimes I, I've, grown up, I've grown up wearing the hijab and it's the only thing I've ever known. Mm-hmm. So without it, I feel very uncomfortable. But I just kind of have to like, okay, here we go again. Like I just have to always gear myself <laughs> up for another round of battle. Here we go, you know. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it's an everyday kind of fight. Sometimes I does get tiring at times, where you're like, well, why, why do I have to right. explain myself, or why do I have to talk, and you know what I mean? Even sometimes people automatically will assume that I have some sort of accent, even though I grew up here and been here my whole life, it makes it seem like I just came yesterday. And and the moment I talk, some people will say, oh, like, wow, your English is very clear. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, I'll just be like, huh? And it's difficult at times. But honestly, sometimes having to have people come up to you and ask you questions and, and you see that they're making effort and trying, engaging in the conversation, I'm, it does make me feel good. Yeah, but that and that is that's like ten calculations, <laughs> right? That's true. That's true. For every interaction, Misha, I'm interested in what you hear in this and what Arwa's saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious, Arwa, if you've ever made other changes to your appearance to try to signal that you're not just Muslim. Like, do you put on makeup a certain way, or maybe yeah, wear on makeup, or even, for instance, I wear pants, and I feel like when I wear pants, sometimes I get perceived very differently or approached differently than what I don't. The only thing like I've never so? done, like, I feel like with pants, people think, oh, she must be modern. As if the word modern, Muslim, modern Muslim kind of really bothers me huh. because I feel like for me, Islam is a way of life and is not just about your belief or how, how strong of, how extreme are you on a spectrum? It's about the way you live and your everyday life and how you raise your kids and, you know, the way you, the type of food you eat and how, you know, you clean yourself. It's more than that to me. So the idea of modern Muslim also is like putting me in a box. And I feel like when people see me as a modern person, Muslim, they approach me more, they're kind of more kindly in the way they approach me versus when I'm wearing the abaya, which covers all of me, and you know what I mean? Especially, like, in the summertime where people are like, aren't you hot in that? Like, take that off. Why are you wearing that? Like, you don't, you need to wear that, or, like, you don't in situations like that. I, I have, I, Arwa, I'm so glad you've said this about the modern Muslim. That's, I have to tell you, you've just nailed what I think. Oh, this is probably somebody who's more approachable because... Uh, she looks more contemporary. I am totally saying yeah. I'm placing yeah. people on on the spectrum, right? Without, I think, yeah. even being aware that I'm doing it. It's super valuable. 
hear you say yeah, this. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I tend to get that a lot, especially yeah, with the pants. And, and yeah, you get more, even I feel like within our community, the Muslim community, when you wear pants, some will approach you, you know, some will be seem like they can like interact with you and they can connect with you. Mm-hmm. And some will look down on you, and then it's like vice versa, depending on where you go. You know what I mean? But it's it's weird. But. Right. <laughs> Misha, what do you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because I have had similar experiences where um, – there have been times where I've been like, I'm Muslim, but oh, by the way, I drink. Or like, I'm like, I feel the need to <laughs> the add an additional thing. <laughs> or I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm Muslim, but you know, I'm cool. Like, don't worry about me. Um, but there are also other times where I have had to s- express the reverse um, or where I feel like people who are more culturally Muslim or maybe don't prescribe to like the orthodox way of life have assume that I am a, I mean, I hope I am a safe place for them to be who they are. Um, But it has struck me as funny where, you know, if I sit down with a hijabi friend of mine for the first time um, and they're just like, you know, by the way, hijabis do have sex. And it's like, oh, I know. I know. (laughs) Um, So it is funny how we're constantly justifying ourselves within and without the different communities um, and how we always feel the need not just with non-Muslims, but but with everyone to kind of express like, oh, I'm this, but I'm also that, you know, don't forget. Um, and I, I noticed that in my appearance, too. I just got my hair done yesterday. I got it colored and I had such a conflict over it about whether I should color it lighter or not, because what will people assume about me right <laughs> off the bat, you know? Well, I, but don't all of us go through. I'm not sure that that's unique to the fact that you're also Muslim. Oh, I mean, no, not at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. wasn't that that question. That wasn't a conflict about I'm Muslim and I'm all this other stuff. It was I'm a woman and I'm this age and people make a lot of assumptions about what your hair color says about you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same as getting a particular piercing or a tattoo yeah. or choosing yeah. to dress a certain way. But I think that's the thing about the struggle of Muslims. Right. It's actually not. It's just a more extreme version of the struggle of all human beings. I think we're always trying to escape labels in some way. Misha, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go right back to the phones and then we'll play a few excerpts from the podcast. Is that cool? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> to Karima in Minneapolis. Karima, thanks so hey. much for hanging out through the through the newscast there. Uh, a pleasure. Uh, Salam alaikum, everybody. Um, I am so excited for this conversation. I've been waiting for this for decades. Ah. Um, the, uh, I'm a non-hijabi Muslim. I don't cover my head except for prayer and in the mosque. And sometimes I introduce myself to people by saying, hi, I'm a Muslim and I play, the, I play Irish fiddle music. <laughs> Whoa. <Okay. laughs> kind of stops them with a stereotype. I guess. You know, the problem as I see it is, that depending on whether you cover your head or not, you're put into one of two categories. Either you're uh, seen by the outside you know, community by non-Muslims as a Muslim, and people have talked about that, this very, very narrow um, stereotype of you know, three or four characteristics, and that's how we're all supposed to be. Um, and otherwise, if you don't cover your head, none of the Muslims, none of, none of the Muslims know that you're a Muslim, which is kind of sad. Hmm. And, you know, I've... Uh, I actually said, you know, salam alaikum, Ramadan Mubarak to a guy in the, in the coffee store the other day. And I was hesitant, though, because I had on short sleeves and 
you know, kind of like yoga pants. I mean, I had <laughs> something tied around my butt. I had a shirt tied on, but you know, but it, it is a constant problem. It really is. Yeah. Hey, good. can I ask how you got into Irish fiddle music? No matter, I don't care what faith you're from. Oh, sure. That's an accomplishment. Oh, I just love it. I do a lot of different things. And that's one of the things I love. And I, I've, after years of playing, I've gotten, you know, I'm pretty good. I have a little duo. We, we are Jeez. tentatively tea time. We don't play very much out, but we are quite good. <laughs> what was the reaction, when, by the way, when you greeted that guy at the coffee shop? Oh, he was beautiful. You know, I heard him talking to his friend and saying all these really nice Islamic type things oh. around Ramadan, and I couldn't resist. He was just sweet. He was so open. He was just delightful, and we had a nice conversation. But sometimes people don't believe like if I salam somebody, if I say, you know, salam alaikum, and I usually do a little longer version and roll my R's a little bit so I don't just sound like some American trying to be nice. You know? um, sometimes people will salam you back and sometimes they'll just look at you funny. So there's a range. I know, I know the, 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 the you know, lady that you have on there, the sister, and the people who have been calling in will understand this. It's, yeah, okay. <laughs> Does that make sense, Misha? Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I love your use of salaming as a verb (laughs) because that's not part of our vernacular, you know. Um, Yeah, I think um, I have definitely tried to prove that I'm more uh, Muslim than people expect me to be, too, because if I'm dressed in a particular way or my hair hair is cut short or whatever, um, sometimes I feel like Muslims are skeptical about my Muslimness, and so... Um, or even with Pakistanis, you know, there have been times that I've literally broken out in very uh, proper, old-fashioned Urdu just to try to show, like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not as whitewashed as you think I am. Like, I, I actually am really great at my language. I really know my culture, um, and I think people are even surprised that I've read the Quran cover to cover in almost 12 different translations like that's not something wow the what the general muslim don't skip over that what (laughs) you've read the quran in 12 different languages no 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 i mean in three different languages but all uh different translations because there's so many different translations i went down a rabbit hole when i was like 16 17 um just trying to understand like what is this book really saying you know because a lot of Muslims um, read the Quran in Arabic. There isn't that much pressure to read it in a language that you understand. And I just I just wanted to understand. I didn't want to dismiss the culture and the religion without trying to get a sense of it. Wow. Okay. I want to play an episode, uh, an excerpt from an episode with Amira. Uh, she's a hip hop artist and an activist. And she tells us in the episode about this painful childhood experience and and maybe Misha you could just explain what happens with the bees because I've I've pulled apart that's later you know in this moment where she kind of has to come to terms with this painful experience but what happens to her as a kid so when she's around 12 years old in Wisconsin her family moves to the country from the city and uh, she is playing around in a forest like place with a friend of hers and gets attacked by a hundred bees um, and the way she puts it is that she was on the bees turf and you know she was trespassing um and later in life she has to kind of confront what happened there yeah uh, uh and just to, just to set this up a little bit she's in a city and somebody is uh, raising money for bees so listen to what happens and she's like have you heard about what's going on with the honeybees and i was like 
yes, I am aware of that. And so she kind of went in to talk about, you know, how dangerous it is for us not to have, you know, for the deep, the bee populations to be dying off. And I was like, absolutely, this is like really scary. And I go, you know what, I'll sign up. And then as I signed up and I gave her my credit card information, I said, I just want you to know that this is a big step for me because I have a bee attack story in my past. <laughs> and now I'm giving money to, like, support their comeback. <laughs> I just love that. I, I lo- and, and that was, in some ways, that is kind of a transformational moment in how she sees herself, right? I was defined in some ways by this terrible experience. I think we all have that from our childhood. It's a- it's a small trauma, but I think it speaks well of our experiences with even larger traumas, right? That you hold on to something for so long. Like she has this grudge against bees. <laughs> and when the moment comes to really think about it, she chooses to forgive the bees and she chooses to let go of that and, and redefine herself. And I think in some ways her story is a story of constantly redefining yourself and allowing yourself that opportunity just as much as it's a story of forgiveness and and letting go and her struggle, nature versus, you know, woman. (laughs) (laughs) I I love how she finishes that episode with, these bees are living large on my dime. (laughs) (laughs) It's excellent. Uh, Let me grab a call here from Ion in in Minneapolis. Hi, thanks so much for waiting. How are you? Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to thank you all for this amazing conversation, this much-needed talk. Um, I also wanted to add my experience on a daily basis. I am a Lyft and Uber driver, Ah. and I am fully covered in Minneapolis. And, of course, I go in the surrounding cities. And having people in my private space, in my car, uh, a lot of people feel like they have... um, how do I say, they have the power to ask any question without <laughs> others, you know, knowing or seeing. And some people will apologize for saying, you know, I'm sorry for being ignorant. I'm going to ask you an ignorant question, you know. And I always say, you know, um, the true meaning of ignorance is not knowing that you don't know, you know. But if you don't know something and that you're aware of it, you're not ignorant and you're trying to escape away from that term, you know. Uh, and some of the things that people say right off the bat, you know, they label me as a hijabi woman, woman that completely covered a brown-skinned Somali, you know, Minnesotan. The first thing that people will say sometimes is, uh, you speak good English, you know, and I'm like, so do you, you know. You're <laughs> and I'm not thinking that's some that, kind of compliment, you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's not like you're complimenting me. You're just expecting something other than, you know, what I am, you know. And some people will say, you you can actually drive or you're a good driver. <laughs> wow. You know? Um, <laughs> some, you know, some people will also say, you know, there was a woman that said, you're a good Muslim woman, you know. And I asked her, you know, if she had ever met a bad Muslim woman. And she said, <laughs> actually, no. You know, and I, at the end of that conversation, that lady was literally in tears. And I have it on my app where she commented, thank you. You know, you have changed my life forever. And I'm not the same person. She's not the only one that have said something like that. So something that, you know, I wanted to also uh, mention something. Your, I think your second caller said a term uh, that was, that was, you know, to me, 
I I don't give up being a Muslim every day. I live it. I breathe it, you know. But at the same time, it's a fight that I have to put up with. I don't want to take a break from it because the hundred people that I pick up a day, if I can change one person's perspective about what it means to be a Muslim woman, I will keep doing Boy. you know? So, so you, what me, you're, that's tr- you're saying you take that sharing. I think that was the term, right? Yes. That that sharing <laughs> discipline really seriously. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm. and I take my time very serious with the conversations. And I mean, it's almost 99% of the time that things that we talk about are being a Muslim woman, you know, why I don't assimilate, you know, and I did say that to one person, you know, yes, you know, you're not going to accept me even if I take my hijab off because I am a brown skinned woman, you know, so asking someone why they don't take their hijab off to me yes it's a personal opinion and everyone is entitled to it but you know you're forcing your opinion on me does that make sense you know you know (laughs) you know what i'm thinking ayan it's interesting misha in the intimacy of that space people feel i guess that they can ask kind of intrusive questions What's what's really cool about what you're saying, though, is you're also using that intimacy to grant those people respect, which is something I very rarely hear. I think a lot of times as people of color, or as minorities, it's so easy to just get angry at people for having the questions in the first place. And you taking the time to not write them off as ignorant, but instead to actually explain and talk to them as another human being. I think that's why people are in tears at the end of your rides. And that's why you're able to change their minds, because you're treating them with respect. And and that's ultimately the goal of the podcast, too, is to treat our listeners with respect and and just show them a different perspective and know that it will impact them in a certain way because they want to see humanity. Um, You know, what's one of the interesting things that has happened, Misha, with this series is we reach a moment in the conversations where the guest is exploring the fact that they are deeply attached to a faith. But can they challenge some of the tenets of that faith and still be true to the faith? And and what are how is that transforming their experience of the faith? One of we talked to Sister Simone Campbell, you know, nuns on the bus. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she worries about as a nun is whether she's too public, she's too in love with the sound of her own voice and that she's not spending enough contemplative time. I heard an essence of that in some of these podcast episodes, like, can I be what it truly means to be this connected to my faith? But can I also say there's there's different ways to do this? Did you were you thinking about that? Did you hear any of that? Yeah, one of the things that we noticed from episode to episode was that people were talking about different tenets of the faith. So, for example, Rami Youssef, who has the new show on Hulu, Rami, um, talked about getting Bell's palsy and this concept of surrender, which, if you don't know, Islam means to surrender. Um, No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Islam means to surrender. And often people hear that to mean, 
oh, you know, surrender to the will of Allah, like join ISIS, but that actually can be interpreted in so many different ways. And in the context of Rami's life, he was trying to figure out what it means to not only let go of control, but to give in to his natural instincts. And at that time, he was resisting being an actor, which is what was most natural to him, and instead following a path prescribed for him by his parents or his culture. Um, And as a result of getting Bell's palsy, he was forced to come to terms with this idea of surrender. And so I think his story is one of those that really exemplifies questioning how you can almost reinterpret certain tenets of your faith uh, in the context of the life that you're living um, and how that changes over time. You know, surrender to me today may mean something entirely different than it means tomorrow. Um, and, And even Amir, I mean, there's a part of her interview that we cut out um, where she's talking about the concept of suburb versus sugar and mm. that there are people who live um, with patience and there are people who live with gratitude. And those are the only two ways really to live is in good times you must be grateful and in bad times you must be patient. And that's another tenet of the faith, but it's interpreted in the context of her life and Boy. and this time. And you cut that out? <laughs> I know. I, it was, the, oh, I know. It's a killer. <laughs> gotta kill your it? darling. <laughs> I know. It's so true. I want to play. I, I don't know where you found Wazina. Boy, she, she turned my head around. She's great. She's a sex educator. She's host of the show Coming Out Muslim. So that that's where you found her. She tells you this story about her little brother throwing a brick at her when they're kids, and it creates this rift between them. And we fast forward a few years later, and Adam, her brother, is hit by a car, and he ends up with a broken collarbone. And she writes his homework for him, and she really steps up, and they kind of they refine this, rediscover this closeness. And then years pass, and Adam is about to get married, and rumors start to circulate within the family about Wazina being queer and Muslim. Let's listen. When Adam told me this, I I started panicking um, because if if this uncle knows and every uncle knows, and this is a really big deal, this is like my worst nightmare coming to fruition because now the families are talking. And then my brother said, you know, I looked up what our uncle said, and he's like, "That's you have you do great things. Like you have fans out there." Um, he's like, you know, I, I, I think he's making a big deal out of it. But and and just so you know, like I support you. You know what I loved about that was it wasn't the rom com happy ending. It was yes, this relationship is going to continue to be complex but in the moment that i really needed somebody in the family to say the prince of the family by the way to say <laughs> i'm there for you it meant everything so human and that's yeah and that's the thing with a lot of these stories is not all of them i mean some of them have a neat little bow but not a lot of them do right. and a, a lot of people's identities haven't been fully reconciled at the point that we're asking them about, you know. So um, they're still in conversation with those parts of themselves. And I'm still in conversation with all the parts of myself. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself through all these conversations? That I fall in love very easily. <laughs> I'm in love with all of these people. Um You know, I think that it's okay to continue sharing who I am, even when I don't fully know who I am. Um, And I think I put too much pressure for a vast majority of my life 
to have come to some conclusion or reach some level of reconciliation or perfection before I allowed myself to share my story. And I think this podcast has helped me realize that if you share at the different points of progress, that you actually um, learn more about yourself and make more progress and you actually make more friends along the way. You know, Misha, I really hope for you that um, this is more than preaching to the choir of the do-goody public radio people. And and if that's it, you you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, this should be heard <laughs> far and wide. Thank you so much for the conversation. Really, really great to have you. Thank you, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Misha Youssef is a podcast host and producer at KPCC. The new podcast, subscribe to it, is called "Tell Them I Am." She's with us from LA. heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing talk at npr.org.